church. So we're going to be in a, a few places here uh, this morning, but uh, I'm going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And I just want to remind you that like our uh, theme for the year is recover the mission. Uh, that's our desire is to uh, um, try to put back uh, something that God always intended, and that is to be focused completely on his agenda, what he wants the church, you know, his church to be focused on, and that is to seek and save the lost, to uh, turn this world towards him. Um, and we're, we started this recovery because, um, uh, you know, just reflecting back on 2021, his church could have done a better job. Uh, and I really felt like I've been pretty tough on the church the last few weeks, just uh, reminding us of that. Uh, I don't regret that. I, I really believe that that's, you know, reading God's Word and just uh, observing what transpired. Uh, I believe that that's what uh, He wants us to really do, is to just really um, have those con- conversations um, but so, and the way we've been looking at it is just this, like a storm that has come. And, you know, last week it brought several storms, uh, the election storm, uh, so, so to be, and, and the pandemic storm, but there's a lot of storms in our lives as well. But, um, and just as we were talking about when storms come, it just leaves a lot of debris. And we as a church have to make some decisions on what we're going to do with what we got. Um, and so the first thing we do is we have to just sort through, right? We have to decide what should be tossed, you know, done away with. Um, and, uh, and then also what should be kept. And today we're going to talk about what to keep. Because in the midst of that, you're always going to find some gems, right? Some things that are important to us and that we need to cling to uh, and not let go of. Um, and I think that's really important. Another thing is, is, you know, like we're in the recovery stage. We're going to move to the renovation stage, reconnect and reap. Um, you know, this, this uh, renovation stage, I, I, that's a good word. I, I think maybe um, uh, restore is a good word, you know, because we're not reinventing the church here. We're just trying to restore it back to what Jesus was wanting. Uh, and how he had set up the church and what he wants the church to do and behave and, and to act. So all we're doing is we're not rebuilding the church, uh, reinventing the church. We're just trying to establish it back to what it originally was meant to be. Um, and so that's really important for us to remember as well. But we're in the, the uh, recovery stage. And so we're going to look at this gym today. Here's the gym, and that is believing in the power of one. Do you believe in the power of one? I mean, do you really believe in it? That's what we're going to, because I do. I mean, I do, and I think that is one of the things that we have to cling to and keep a hold of as we're going through this. First um, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, this is what it says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many 
were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I I wrote an article this past week for the newsletter, and uh, I know that not everyone reads the newsletter, but uh, uh, so I want to go ahead and talk to you about what I wrote there a little bit. But I also want to encourage you to do so. Uh, You know, uh, Georgia does an amazing job. I really appreciate it, Georgia, that you put together this newsletter every week. And Sean always has an article. It's always a really good article, uh, kind of around missions. Uh, And you guys would really benefit uh, reading those articles, uh, but also just keeping up on what's going on, uh, which is what the newsletter is intended to do. So just want to, you know, throw that out there. Just, uh, but also, uh, this is what I wrote my article around was just scripture here. And every time I read this passage, it takes me back right to my first encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, my first conversations with him. I had already just given him my life, right? But I really struggled with seeing that he's really going to have a whole, like he can really accomplish much through me. You know, like I have anything to bring to the table, really, other than just a yielded life. God, you get my life. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but it probably won't be much is kind of what my thinking was, right? Uh, And I just really struggled with that. I didn't feel like I had a lot to offer. I could not speak in public. I was the shyest guy in the world. I, I knew nothing, you know, about the Bible. In fact, just intellectual knowledge was struggling for me. Uh, and so I just could not picture that he would use me in ministry. And so I was trying to figure out, what else do you do then? I mean, you know, like if you don't write, preach, or, you know, teach, what else can you do, uh, you know, significant for the kingdom of God? And so I just really struggled with that as a, a new believer. And then I come across this passage of Scripture. And it was just as if, like, the Holy Spirit was literally, as I'm reading the Scripture, just kept saying to me over and over and over, do you believe? I mean, do you believe in the power of one? Do you believe that, that God can actually use a nobody to create something good and, and something uh, way more than what you could accomplish on your own? I mean, these are the things that I was just listening to, you know, and hearing, you know. Uh, and I just, I just remember as I'm reading that, it was so encouraging me because the whole thing is, is I believed I believe that God has the power and the ability to take anybody, no matter who they are, and to use them significantly and way more beyond and above than anything that they could ever imagine. And I'm just here to testify that that's what he's done with me. Not that I, I, I'm, I'm a, if, if, if at all, I'm a one-talented person, you know, really I think God gave me like I have a talent, you know, but uh, he's able to use anything. And, and I, just, I just believe that that is possible. I mean, he, he is a God who is, he's just amazing. He really is. And, and just realizing that there is power in him and that he can accomplish 
a lot through anyone and anything. And I believe that. Do you believe in the power of one? Do you believe that God can use you to accomplish some pretty amazing eternal things? Eternal change in, in your world, global world, in your community world, in your home world? I, I just, you know, unfortunately, I think that that's, that's something that the church lacks. And then we need to, like, realize how important this is. And sometimes, you know, some of the most important things in our homes are things that we have put away. Where do they go? They go into the safe, right? Or they go up on the shelf, or they go in a drawer. But they're still important to us. We just have kind of, we, we, it's been a long time since we got that album out and looked through, you know, those pictures. Or plugged in that um, VCR, for one, we have to go dig the thing out, right? Um, and watch the wedding or, or whatever it is. I mean, these things are very important to us. And if we had an earthquake, this would be the first things that we're trying to dig and find, right? Because we know. And I think that sometimes spiritually that we can just overlook some of the most valuable, most important things. Is, and one of them is, is just believing in the power of God working through his church working through individuals, and for each individual to just remember that, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and not just verbally believe this, right? But literally be putting ourselves out there, putting, entrusting ourselves and stepping out. I remember, and I've told you this before, but it is, it's just so, for me, it's my testimony. It's, it's something that I will always, uh, it'll always just be such an impactful, powerful thing, but I remember how scared I was to go to Ozark Christian College. I'd never read a newspaper in my life, but I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, show, I find myself at a, a quick stop buying a newspaper, which is, I don't even know why I did. And I'm just looking through that, and I know it's just because I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do. And I was just thinking, man, I'm just going to go home. I'm not going to do this. I don't know how this is going to work out. There's, there's just, what am I going to do at this place? I can't go in the ministry. But somehow I made it through registration. And somehow I made it through, you know, the first semester. And I still had people ask me, what are you going to do? And I'm still thinking, I don't know. I'm just going to stay here. I remember walking across the stage still not knowing that. I mean, still believing that I'm not going into ministry because I don't know what I could do, what I could offer. And that's the thing is, is it can't, it's got to be more than just verbal. You know, I would have said all the way there that God can use anybody. He can use anybody, right? But it's more than just saying it. It's putting yourself out there. It's actually putting yourself in a position that God can use you, which means that you have to have some faith. And, you know, some faith to do it. Do you remember the parable of the talent? Do you remember that Jesus was talking about this parable and he, he's, he's saying, you know, that this, there's this, this master and he goes off on this journey and he entrusts some talents, which is money, right, to, to some of his servants. And one servant he gives five and for another servant he gives two and another servant he gives one. And, and he, just, he just entrusts them and he's gone, but then he eventually comes back and 
And when he calls them, you know, in to see what they did, well, the first guy with five talents, he says, well, master, you gave me five. I, I invested it, and I have five more. And what does he say to him? He says, well, good. Faithful servant. I mean, you were entrusted with little, and, and I mean, and, and you did awesome. And for the guy who had two, he had the same story. I, I invested it. I got two more. Well, good. And with the one, he said what? Well, I buried it. Because I was afraid was his reason, right? And Jesus got, he, I mean, he's telling this story, but, but you know that it's actually Jesus' feelings, his, his emotions here, and he's upset, you know, at this, this master's upset at this guy who would not invest. And he took his away, his one, and he gave it to the guy who had five. And he says, you know, basically, I'm done with you. I have no use for you. And I just want you to know that when we believe in the power of one and we entrust, not only yield ourselves to, to Jesus, but that we are investing ourselves in him, that he doesn't disappoint you know what I mean? It's like, can you imagine how the investors feel that we're the first investors in like Amazon and Apple and Google and Facebook and Netflix and stuff like that, how they feel right now? I mean, they just invested a little, didn't they? Did they get any return? Oh, my. Yeah, compound interest is crazy, isn't it? Because compound interest just takes your money and it just keeps doubling it and keeps doubling that and keeps doubling that. And it just goes crazy after a while. Because that's what happens when you invest. And that's what Jesus is saying here, right? He's like, I know that you don't have much to offer. You don't have much to take to the table. That's okay, because guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to compound interest that as long as you'll just invest it. And it's, it's putting our mouth, I mean, our actions where our mouth is. It's not just saying that we believe that Jesus can compound interest in our lives, but that actually, even though it, it terrifies me to do this or terrifies me to do this, I'm just going to do it because I believe that he can do something with it. And then just watch it. And compound interest doesn't happen over day, does it? Do you just put a little money in and get millions back in a day? Not unless it's GameStop, and then, then you do, right? Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit here in a little bit. But the point is, is that it usually takes a long time. And you just have to be faithful and just watch it grow. Jesus can compound what we offer and what we have to offer. Matthew chapter 25 is where I was just talking about that. If you want to look that up later, um, I actually was going to have it up here. And uh, we're just going to go on. But what if you were the only one who believed? What if you were the only one? Would it still happen? I mean, do you have to have a crowd to believe that you can do something significant in order for something significant to happen through you? Yeah, it just takes you. 
you know, sometimes we're always waiting for somebody else to react or somebody else. I do that, Mike, if, if uh, you can get other people to do that, then you can count me in, that kind of thing. Who's going to be the first? I mean, in reality, who's going to be the first to be the one who does something? And I just, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love David and Goliath stories, don't you? I mean, just where somebody is the first and he's such or she is such a brave person. I mean, just think about this. I mean, here the Philistines were, you know, against the Israelites and they were so massive. You know, they were big and the, the guy that was their, their prize guy, he was so big and so intimidating, right? And they just didn't know what to do. And here comes little David with his lunch and he's just like, oh, why didn't somebody go out there and shoot him or kill him or... Whatever you do with him, right? Um, and they're just like, yeah, you're just a little boy. You don't, you don't understand and comprehend this. And here's David just as like, he just believes in the power of one. He just believes that God can use anybody, even himself, to do this. And he's just like, I'll go do it. And they were just laughing at him, right? And he just went out there and did it. And, and we know what's so awesome about the story is there's not that it was David that was so amazing and mighty. It was just that his God was so amazing and mighty, and he can use anything that somebody would do. The littlest seed planted, he can make grow into a big old oak tree, can't he? And he did that through David, and it just is something that we admire when we see these David and Goliath stories. And, and it's super easy to get excited when, when you see that David's winning, you know. But these, there's these stories all over God's Word. They're everywhere. The, the story I wrote about in my article was, was about the, the woman at the well. I mean, here you, you see this woman, and you don't have to know every detail about her, but you know that she's been married five times and that she's showing up at a well when nobody else is showing up. And you realize that she has so low self-esteem. And it's because everybody else doesn't think that she has anything going right. Nobody wants to be around her. And, and I guarantee if they had some kind of community meeting, they would not like think that she has the most to offer their community. They wouldn't even have brought her name up. She had nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. And yet, just after a one-day, one-moment conversation with Jesus, this no-name no person does what? Goes and completely changes her community. I mean, completely there will be people, I have no doubt, there will be people in heaven because that woman's testimony. She just goes and she just shares Jesus. She has nothing to offer, and yet Jesus just compounds it and multiplies it and creates something amazing with it. And, and there's people like Daniel. Isn't Daniel's story cool? You know, he believed in the power of one, didn't he? I mean, here he was just alone, you know, uh, a, a, a slave, somebody that was taken out of his own home. And he just believed in God. 
And what's really cool about David, I mean Daniel, and what's really should inspire us in our story is because we just came out of having some pretty harsh conversations about we cannot go outside of God's boundaries. You know, he expects us to love our enemies, not to hate our enemies. He expects us to treat them well and, and to pray for our enemies and, and to do things like this. This is what, and so we can't go out of You know what? Daniel never did, did he? I mean, somehow he lived in the midst of this pagan nation and still stayed within the boundaries of God. When, when they told him, though, that you can't pray to your God, Daniel's like, you know what? That's where I do draw the line. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to hate you. But I'm going to pray to my God. That's all he did. But he believed in the power of God. I mean, I, I have no doubt that he had to come to a conversation with God, right? And just say, you know what, God? I believe that if I honor you, you're going to protect me. But even if you don't protect me, I'm still going to honor you because you deserve to be honored. And he prayed. And they threw him in a lion's den. And the lions didn't eat him. And it's an awesome story. But it's a, a story about believing in the power of one. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think my absolute favorite part of that story is when King Nebuchadnezzar was like, you guys really, you're really going to go through this? You really, you realize I'm really going to throw you in this fiery furnace and nobody's going to save you. And yet this is what they said. I want to read it to you. It's Daniel 3 verse 15. It says, now if you are ready, when you hear the sounds of the the horn, the hype, lyre, the tigron, um, trigon, harp, bagpipes, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And of course, we know that they didn't, but then it says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And they just believed in the power of one, didn't they? I mean, they literally believed that God could deliver them from the fiery furnace, but even if he chose not to, that's his choice, they're still going to do it. They're still not going to do it, I guess is what we would say. And, and we read, I mean, all the way through this, it's just amazing stories of like Ruth and Esther and other people that believed in the power of one. And I just want to, I just want to ask you do, you, do you, church, believe in the power of one? Do you believe that one person that has nothing to offer can make a difference? Because I just feel like the church has been beat up so much. Not, not beat up in the way that we've been talking here lately of what we shouldn't do. But I'm talking about this beat up in the sense that we feel like we can't even make a difference anymore. 
And I just don't believe it because I believe in the power of one. I believe that it, it doesn't take an army. It just takes an individual believing in a God that can do anything he wants to do. And I feel like the church is like, well, that's, that's our stories. Those aren't stories, church. That's real stuff. And it starts, let me tell you where it starts. It starts living with conviction. You see, we got we to gotta start living with some conviction in us. Conviction that God is actually big and mighty and strong and he can actually accomplish amazing things through an individual. Now, again, we don't take matters into our own hands. We don't go out and behave like worldly people and pagans and, and crazy people and doing things the way that we want to do them. We've got to do it the way that Jesus tells us to do it. That's how you are entrusting yourself to Jesus, right? That's when you are believing in the power of one is when you are putting your, your faith in the way that he does. And how is it that he, remember what our First Corinthians passage say? He uses not the noble people. He uses the nobodies, right, to shame the world. And, and as soon as we try taking up our arms and trying to fight, that is people acting like in their own power. But when people are yielded to God and do it the way, and, he, and, it'll, and in our head, even in our head, we know the Bible, to us it could be like, man, this doesn't make sense. You want me to love my enemies, pray for my enemies? You want me to treat them well and stuff? But you just got to believe in the power of one. And you just have to believe that if you do it his way, and trust yourself his way, that he's actually going to accomplish some pretty amazing things through you. But it has to start with conviction. You heard the conviction of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But just know, even if he doesn't, you know, I know you have convictions. Right? I do. I, I know that you have concerns. I have some major convictions and some major concerns as well. And they just seem to keep growing here as of late. It, it bothers me. I want to just be honest with you here for a minute. And I'm also going to give you kind of just a personal illustration, but it's my illustration and it's my thing, okay? I'm not saying this to expect you to do the same, and I'm not saying it to brag or anything like this. I'm, I'm trying to be transparent so that you help, so I can help you understand that it is time for the church to, to live with conviction and to believe in the God of the universe, the God who can do anything, raise people from the dead, and how he can really accomplish things through people if they would just put some conviction to work. But it bothers me so much about these big tech companies every time that I think about it. And I've read a lot about it. I've been interested in the investing world. I don't know why. It's just something I completely felt like, man, I know nothing. I know nothing. I'm 50 years old. I know nothing about it. And I just wanted to know. And so I've been, you know, studying, researching on my own, just trying to understand it and stuff. And man, I... 
so I'm just like coming across these articles and stuff about these people all the time, as well as like everything that you know as well, just, just the power that these people have. It's just crazy. When it came to our election, I was just dumbfounded how, how they can just instantly take the most powerful position in our United States of America and just say, you know what, you're not going to talk anymore. Can't talk to your people. You can't, we're just shutting you down. How do you do that? But they do that because they're so big. They, they are, they, they're just so mighty. It's just, and, 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 I, and I see, and I don't know if this is God giving me insights, but I see that it is not just a person that they are trying to attack. It's, it's more and broader and bigger than that. They're trying to silence anybody that disagrees with them is what it is. And, and maybe they disagree with just these cluster of people now or this concept. But eventually, what if they disagree with you? And I guarantee they already do. You know, so you get on there and you're having a conversation about homosexuality. Well, what if they don't like that? What if it's some other religious thing that we truly believe that the Bible has something to say about? What happens? And I just can't help but think that it just disturbs me that, that, it, that there's this people, individual people is what we're talking about here. Individual people. Just a handful of them that are making such powerful, powerful decisions that go really contrary to some of the foundations that our United States of America was founded upon and what we have been really blessed to live in as Christian people. And I know that you know all this. But I don't share their worldviews. Do you share their worldviews? I don't share their worldviews. They have views that are contrary to the Word of God. I just don't share them. And, and it's crazy that they can be against something that they say is evil and yet have pornography run rampant on some of their platforms. And they're, they're not saying that they couldn't do something about that. We know that they could shut it down just like that. Those things pop up. They can recognize that that shouldn't be there. And they also know that the majority of pornography is actually human trafficking. That's where it comes from. It's like human slave trafficking. And yet they would justify it just because of what? Because I don't know. I mean, I, I'm amazed that, that like Netflix and, you know, Amazon Prime and stuff like that have such high-level rated movies that our kids of 10, if they are allowed to just watch what they want to watch, can actually watch stuff that's higher than rated R. They just call it non-rated or, you know, MA for mature or something. But kids don't care. They just click on what they want to click on. And, you know, we used to have a thing in our culture that, that you couldn't say some of these words. That, I mean, they would be maybe on rated R movies, and now they're on regular TV. And you know what? I can't help but think that that's progressed so 
fast, partly because Christians have quit living with conviction. I mean, we, we don't, we used to boycott stuff. The church of Jesus Christ, I don't mean like the Latter-day Saints, I'm talking about, I'm talking about us, used to boycott things like that, and it made a difference. You know what's going on now? Now you have companies boycotting individuals. How did that get flipped around? They're not even concerned about losing your support. You know why? Because they're not going to lose your support. They just don't think that's going to happen. Because that's what always was concerned them for a long time. And then somebody started testing the waters on this. You know, somebody had to be the first. And one of them was the first and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to boycott an individual. And, then I'll, and, and no recourse has happened. Because Christians aren't living with conviction anymore. And the church needs to start living with some conviction. Did you know that, they, that Twitter um, did the same thing that they did with the president, with uh, uh, Mike Liddell, you know, the guy, the pillow guy? I don't know him very well. I, I appreciated when he was at the White House that time and he read that prayer, that testimony thing about Jesus Christ and stuff. And, and, and he, I think he said some things about abortion and stuff like that in there. And, and I, I just felt like that he was a man that was trying to uh, make sure that Jesus got a little bit of voice. Uh, that's kind of my impression about that. But, but uh, they just silenced him. You know, he's off of Twitter, and who knows what. Well, anyway, I was looking into that just a little bit, and, and they just decided to boycott this guy. They've taken his pillows off of almost every online shopping, you know, like the, the, where you get on a TV and you buy stuff. They've taken him off there, Bath, Body, and Beyond, Kohl's. I think Target, am I right on that one? Target. And, and they just decided to to just say, you know what, he, he does not, isn't somebody that we want uh, to have a voice anymore, and so we're just going to get rid of him. This is what Bath, Body, and Beyond said, the, the spokesman there. He says, we will continually improve our product assortment. As previously announced, we have been rationalizing our assortment and continue to to discontinue a number of underperforming items and brands. This includes the MyPello product. <laughs> Isn't that silly? It, it just so happens that they come to that conclusion all at the same time, all together, right? The funny... I don't know. That bothers me. But what really bothers me is that it doesn't bother Christians enough. That's what it bothers me. I don't mean bother you like where you're going to behave un-Jesus-like, but that you would still want to support that you wouldn't want to boycott back. That's what concerns me. Like, like we, 
I'm just bringing it up because I think this is something that we recognize, right? I mean, I, I'd get on Facebook and I would just have all these people that would just, man, I do. I, could, I think I'm just going to leave this platform. I think, I mean, it's like there's this sense of us that we were just like all feeling the same thing. Like, like man, this is just not right. We don't fight like the world, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't given us ways to fight. We just got to, and, and this is what we talk about in Sunday school, we should not only, listen to me, we should not only fight for values, we should not only fight for um, making sure that Jesus gets the glory like, like we are, like Daniel when he had to, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or any of these people, they had to come to the realization, look, God's going to get my, he's going to get, he's going to get all of my um, loyalty here. And I'm not going to live, I'm in a world, a worldly world, but I'm not going to live like a worldly person. Right? I'm in the world, but I'm not going to be of the world. That's what they decided to do. And so God still got it. So he got the glory, right? With Daniel and, and them, when, they, when, when he didn't get eaten by the lions, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was just like, you know what? This is my God. This is, I'm going to follow Daniel's God. And it's because Daniel always made it about God, not about anything else. And, and I, just, I just know that that's what we got to do here, you know, is is we got to fight, but fight the way that Daniel did. Fight the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Fight the way that Jesus taught us to fight. And so, therefore, we got to start living with some conviction. we got to start believing in the power of one. Do you believe in the power of one? That one person can do something? Because I'm just going to tell you something. Last week, actually almost two weeks ago now, Lori and I, we decided, this is just something that we decided. Again, I, I want to be careful here at this point because me sharing what I'm doing is not me passing judgment about this. Judgment about not living with conviction, yes. If you're not living with conviction, you need to feel judged by that. If you're not have, you know, putting your your actions with your words and not just saying you believe in the power of one but actually stepping out then yeah you should be judged but not about what I'm fixing to share here okay this is just Lori and I but Lori and I we decided that we walked away from Facebook we walked away from shopping on Amazon we shop on Walmart right at this point dot com they have the same stuff I'm, I got rid of Twitter, I got rid of my Instagram account, which is crazy because they won't actually get rid of it until a month, you know, because, oh, well, you might change your mind. Yeah, they keep sending me these Facebook things. Somebody wants to be your friend, trying to coax me back into this nonsense. By the way, if you ever did do that, you can actually, because one of the things that terrified me about it is everything I would lose I've been, a, I've been a member of Facebook since 2004. 
Was it a big decision for me to walk away? Absolutely huge decision. It's like a documentation of my kids' life. You know, little important things that we shared on Facebook. I didn't share them in a book or an album anywhere else. And they remind me. They constantly throw something up there that happened 10 years ago. And I look at that little cute little Carrie, and it just like melts my heart, right? I mean, letting go of something like that is not an easy thing. That's why people won't do it. But I don't know if you knew, but you can actually completely download everything. Even though I'm not on Facebook anymore and won't be, I can still go right back to any of that that I've had up to this point. And so that was relieving. I I already decided I was going to do it regardless, but that was kind of nice to know. But anyway, the the point is, is my list isn't complete yet. And I just, I, I listened to this sermon with Kyle Eidelman, by the way, a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about complacency. He gave six definitions of complacency, right? And I don't remember them all, but here's what I remember. One of them is, is when you, when you see that something is wrong and you just decide it's too much effort or work to do anything about it. That's being complacent. And here's another one he said, when you, when you see something is wrong and you say, yeah, that should not be. Somebody should do something about that. That's being complacent when you think somebody, meaning somebody other than you, should be doing something about that as being complacent. And I was, had all this stuff going on in my heart and in my head, and I heard that and I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be complacent. And I'm not going to not live with conviction. And I'm not going to not believe in the power of one. And so that was the settling factor in my, my heart. And I shared that with Lori, and she agreed, because we have a, you know, a joint account on some of this stuff. And we just walked away from it. And I know that some people, I mean, I've already had people tell me, well, you think you're going to change the world by just pulling away from Facebook? I don't know. I just, I can't help but believe in the power of one. I can't help but believe that God has not actually convicted millions of us. And I can't help but believe that I wasn't, that I was the first. I don't believe I was the first. But I still can't, I also can't believe that I'm going to be the last. And you know what, here's the thing is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is just the way I feel about this whole thing. Even if nobody else does, I'm completely like satisfied with what I did because it wasn't, I didn't retaliate outside of the boundaries, you see, of what Jesus has given me. And also, I hope that it changes them at some point. Just letting them know that, you know what, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow you anymore because your values are just crazy. And I hope that it helps them. I don't know. But here's what I do know is that I, I felt like the, you know how you do those cleansings, those bodily cleansings? That's what I felt like my spirit has just somewhat been cleansed. And 
there's some people that I'm walking away from, to be honest with you, that even I would be probably classified on our side, whatever that is. Jesus' side's the only side I'm on. Just because it's, they just try to stir up anger. They just try to make me as a Christian behave like a non-Christian. And I, I can't handle that anymore either. I've had people tell me, you know, I can only watch 30 minutes of that. I mean, talking about like the side, that, the new side that is on, supposedly on our side. And that's a little bit odd, isn't it? That it can stir up that much. And it's not stirring up like we leave there thinking, man, I just want to be more like Jesus. We leave there thinking, I want to go get my pitchfork. And I just want to be on Jesus' side. And I just want to believe in the power of one. Christians need to stand together. United not under a president, but united under the name of Jesus Christ. Not under some political advancement, but, but to advance the kingdom of God. You see, the church needs to restore the mission, doesn't it? Have, have you been watching this game, GameStop saga? I'm going to end with this. It's been really fascinating to me. And, and it's a, kind of a David Goliath story somewhat, but in a worldly sense, not in a spiritual sense. But, you know, it's, it's really kind of interesting because I don't know if you know what a hedge fund, uh, you know, business is or something, but it might not be what you think it is. It's not just an, an investor company, okay? Most companies are like can't stand hedge fund uh, people. But they, they are filthy rich, and how they got filthy rich is because they take people's money who is filthy rich or they take corporations who are in 401Ks or something, and they take gigantic amounts of money and they just stomp all over little people and take all their money and just keep getting more filthy rich. And so even investor, you know, small corporations and stuff just don't like how powerful they are. They are just huge and and they're just they're just out for greed, you know, all costs. A lot of times, and this is just the truth if you'll study it, but but they will short companies, and what that means to short is that they'll buy, and they'll borrow a share from from somebody, and then they will, because they know the business is going to crash or go down, and when it goes down, they'll share, sell it down here, but then they have to return it back to the original owner, and they keep all the profit in between, is how that works. So it's just like a borrowed stock, sell it down here. Replace it back up here and you keep all of that money that you just made because you were betting that it would go down. So it's not investing in a company. It's, it's, it's saying, I know it's going to, that this company is going to die and I'm going to benefit from it, right? And it's very risky because if you do this, what if the company went way high? Then you're left like with, and it could go instead of, like if you invest $100, the most you could lose is what? 
$100 if you invest $100. But if you short $100, the most you could lose is what? There's no end to it if it just keeps on going up, right? Like if you would have shorted Amazon at the very beginning, it's not quit going up. You'd still be like still going in the hole. So anyway, some these these huge companies have done this. Well, they shorted so much, like GameStop, that it was 140%, which there's only 100% of stocks, so they shorted more than there is in stocks. Somebody, an individual on Reddit, decided or saw that and through a thread just started sharing it with just, you know, Joe Blows like you guys and me. I mean, just, just saying, uh, hey, they shorted too much of this. And, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we just started buying into this company, made it go up, and then they're going to have to buy options, and they're going to have to buy stock, which will make it go up even more, to try to get rid of their shorts and hoping that you guys will jump out and eventually it'll come back down, right? But they, and they were just saying, it, it could go to the moon, you know? And so this is what has happened, is all these individual people, these little Davids, right, that, that they always laughed about and said, you guys don't know anything about, you know, investing and stuff like this. They have, in just two days, like, destroyed some of these uh, hedge fund companies. I mean, billions of dollars in day, just a day that they lost money in, right? And, of course, they're fighting back. And it's just a crazy saga thing because now they, they even stopped, like, you know, people from trading. Like, they, you know, Robinhood and stuff like this and some of these other companies, uh, um, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, and all these people that says, you know what, you can't buy any more of these particular stocks that you guys are doing because we know what you're up to. Well, they haven't done anything illegal. But the reason I did is because Citadel and some of these other huge financial people, they're the ones who own all these, you know, like they're the ones who, like Robinhood and stuff, have to go through. And so they're really controlling it because they're part of this, being in this mess. It's just really interesting to me. And it just shows you the power of individuals coming together and I just wonder, church, do you believe in the power of one? You know, at some point, somebody had to be the one, first one to start buying in stock into this, right? Thinking that they might lose their shirt. But then when it just started, it just started rolling along and everybody all of a sudden wanted to get into it. But, you know, the people that got in at last are the ones that are at the most risk. If you got in at first, you don't have much risk at this point, right? There is a lot of risk if you start living with conviction. I'm just telling you. You start walking away from things like Facebook and Amazon and just quit supporting people that are against your values and stuff like that. Guess what? There's, there's a lot of sacrifice to that because you were benefiting. You wouldn't have been part of them right now supporting them if you weren't benefiting from them personally, Right? What's interesting to me is, though, that as we will complain to our politicians that they should do something, yet we know that if they did something, they would sacrifice something, like their reputation or whatever, right? But we expect them to do that. Why don't we expect that from us? Why don't we expect some sacrifice on our behalf, on our, on our side? And I don't know what it is that God wants you to do. You know, the conviction that you have. I'm sure it's not the same as me and what I've started 
doing myself, but I'm just telling you that when, when Christians begin to act on conviction and they begin to believe in the power of one and that if they just entrust what little they have to this amazing God, that he will do something. And I know I've gone like way over, but let's pray. Father God, help us. Motivate us. Help us find some motivation. There's a whole lot we shouldn't do, and we need conviction. But there's still a whole lot we can do, and we need motivation. We need to be people who live with conviction. Not just recognize problems, but to step away from the problem makers. And Father, I know that just like in anything, when we step away, it requires some sacrifice, but you've called us to sacrifice. You called us not to be people who live in the world, are like the world. We live in it, but not of the world. Help us, Father, to to find the conviction on that side of things as well. We believe in your power, Lord. And we believe that uh, really what you are waiting for is just for us to put our faith into action. Help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Jesus ate with sinners, didn't he? You know who else ate with sinners? Lot. Lot ate with sinners. There's sure a difference between the two, isn't there? Huh? I mean, when Jesus went and ate with sinners and he got criticized and ridiculed for it, he did it because he cared for sinners. And he was there to do one thing, and that is to share with them salvation through him about this kingdom. And that's what his purpose was. Lot, when he ate with sinners, that wasn't his purpose at all. What was Lot's purpose for eating with sinners? He just enjoyed their table. I mean, he, he enjoyed... He shouldn't have been in Sodom, should he? That's where he settled. But he shouldn't have got so comfortable there. It's crazy, though, but when you read through that story, I mean, the only reason that God even allowed him to exit that place is because of Moses, right? But when he shows up, he became so much a part of that society that he was, his rationale was just out the window, Right? The angels show up and these homosexual people wanted to have relations with, with the angels. And Lot in his rationale is, well, I can't let that happen, so what is he going to do? I need to send out my daughters to have sex with them. <laughs> this is crazy. But when you, when you eat with sinners for the wrong reason, your reasoning leaves, 
It just is the way it is. He became too much a part of the world, right? But God let, was rescuing them and was going to let them escape, told them not to look back. Lot's wife looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. Because it's just being disobedient was just somewhat become her nature. And you, and you think, man, it's going to have at least somewhat of a happy ending, somewhat of some kind of rest, you know, uh, redemptive nature to it. But then you find out that Lot's daughters have been so corrupted by this world because they lived in the world. They, lived, they ate with sinners because they were enjoying the sinners and the sinful nature. And they end up sleeping with their dad. It's just crazy, crazy story, right? But Jesus ate with sinners. It's different, though, isn't it? You know, I, I just want to challenge you today as we come to the table. To really check your motives. Because some of us are eating with sinners because we are enjoying what the sinners offer. And that's where I started, had to really start testing myself. And I have to be honest with you, I think I, that's what has happened in a lot of ways in my life. One of the reasons it's so hard to pull away is because I really have been enjoying eating with sinners. And there is a difference. You know, some, some people, some of my friends are on Facebook because they have a platform on Facebook. Like, they are literally eating with sinners so that they can share Jesus with sinners. That's like, but Facebook isn't a platform for me. It just isn't. And it was just time for me to, like, you know, clean up a little bit. I just want to learn from Jesus. And so when we come to the table, it's just, it's just learning from him. Learning from his motives and why he does what he does. And why he did what he did. Do you believe in the power of one church? Because let me tell you, this right here, this table, it is the, the ultimate definition of the power of one. What God has accomplished. I want to read to you just a few verses. We'll pray and we'll take communion together. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance that what I have received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Romans 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Everything that we hold dear is this right here. And this is what we got to remember. This is who we are loyal to. This is who we pursue. And yeah, he wants us to live among sinners, but not be like them. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, just pray that you would help us, Lord. To just release anything that we need to release here at this moment as we come around this table. For us to, Father, just listen to your voice and for you to speak to us clearly what it is that you want from us. Father, we thank you so much that we understand what we have in Jesus and what you have accomplished through your power of working through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.